Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. We are bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. Uh, I am uh, inaugurating a new segment. It's going to be called Goss Up because I feel like we need some good news stories here and we need people doing good things out there that we can talk up out in the world today. And so here's your Goss Up highlight uh, on this Monday morning. There are a group of, quote, junior detectives who helped the California police find a 97-year-old woman who went missing. So you can find this story pretty much all over the place today. The Roseville Police Department asked for the public's help in locating a 97-year-old woman uh, who has dementia and is mostly nonverbal. She'd been known to uh, hide and, and hunker down, and so they really needed the public's help in this wooded part of a residential community to find her. And so Logan Holtman, who's 10 years old, and his friends, McKenna Rogers and Hope Claiborne, they were playing. They heard the police announcing from the helicopter overhead, asking for people to help, help look for this missing woman. And so uh, they grabbed Hope's younger brother, Cashton, uh, and they hopped on their bikes and they started searching. They searched the park. They searched the neighborhood uh, near their uh, near the middle school in their community. They searched up and down the streets in their own neighborhood. At one point, Logan fell off his bike, uh, and so the kids headed home so that they could get patched up. And that's when they uh, that's when they told their mom. Now, I would argue you should tell your mom before you head out onto such a rescue mission. But uh, nonetheless, that's when they told um, one of the moms involved. And so they um, they said, "Hey, we want to continue. You know, we want to set out again. We want to continue the search." So they searched near their neighborhood in a uh, in a little more wooded area, and they spotted the woman walking around, and they checked the, uh, the photo that they had on their phones on the search alert from the police department, and they identified this person as the missing individual. And so they called the police, and they, they stayed with her until, uh, the, until the police arrived and took care of everything else. And so, um, you know, just... Just recognize that there are ways, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, there are ways that you can be used of God today, today, to bear witness to the reality that Jesus Christ comes to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost, and that's what this story is about. You know, would you take time out of your day or out of, you know, would you disrupt your routine? Would you get on your bike and ride around your neighborhood um, to seek and to save someone who is lost physically, spiritually, emotionally, because you can do that. You can do that. If there's an Amber Alert, you are now on notice. If there is uh, one of these alerts related to a, a missing older adult, um, you're, you're on notice. Like, right, we, we need to be engaged in this way in the culture. Okay, next up, I'm going to have a conversation with Pastor Billy Russell. He's the pastor at the Greater Friendship Baptist Church in Minneapolis. He and I are going to be talking about the reality of being black in America today. 
We're going to talk about race. We are going to lead off with an update about uh, the Joshua Brown case. If you are not familiar with that, uh, with that case, Joshua Brown was uh, a witness in uh, in that we talked about the case last week when Amber Geiger was sentenced following uh, her conviction related to the shooting death of her neighbor in his own home. Botham Jean was the man whom she shot dead in his own apartment, uh, mistaking it for her apartment. Well, Joshua Brown is a witness, a key witness in that case, living just across the hall from uh, from Botham Jean. Joshua Brown is now dead uh, by gun by gun violence in Dallas. So we're going to have a conversation um, about that next up with Billy Russell, pastor of Greater Friendship Baptist Church in Minneapolis. We'll be right back. You know, the revolution that we want as Christians is a revolution of redemption, and that is not only individual redemption in Jesus Christ, that is redemption in our relationships here in the context of community. And one huge area of redemptive opportunity is the is the relationships that we have with one another as people who identify as white and black. And I think that as we get into these conversations there are those who immediately become defensive um, on both sides of the conversation. And so one of the things that we are committed to doing here uh, is to have conversations in public, in front of one another, where we can ask hard questions and we can learn from one another the things that we just frankly don't know about one another and about the experience that our neighbors are having um, who who simply come from a different social location than we do. And so joining me now is Billy Russell. Billy is the pastor of the Greater Friendship Baptist Church in Minneapolis. These are conversations that my guess is, Billy, uh, you and your parishioners, your neighbors and your friends have all the time. We just don't always uh, necessarily have them in public. So welcome uh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Glad to be here. Joshua Brown was uh, an, a young African-American man lived across the hall from another young African-American man, um, Botham Jean. Botham Jean died um, at the hand of an off-duty police officer who mistakenly entered his home and shot him. Uh, And his across-the-hall neighbor, Joshua Brown, um, saw then the police officer emerge from that apartment um, and saw her response and reaction and was able to testify about those things. He did not want to testify. He actually, Joshua Brown, had been shot apparently about a year earlier. That person had never been apprehended. He lived in fear of gun violence. And on Friday night, he was uh, shot and killed outside his new, uh, his new, the, the home that he has now lived in for, um, for nearly a year after having moved from the prior location. I don't live as a white woman in rural Tennessee. I do not live with the kind of fear that Joshua Brown lived with as a young black man in America. Can you just talk about that? Well, <clears throat> I can um, talk about it from even my beginning. Um, it's always been um, like it's some kind of disease being black. Um, matter of fact, we were raised uh, in the, in southern Mississippi to always look down, look away, never look at nobody in the eyes, a white person in the eyes, especially a white woman. Um, and I think those kinds of things kind of spill over into our culture now. 
but it's a different day. Um, when I say a different day, we're not teaching those things now. We're teaching that you are, it's not a disease being black. You are some somebody. And, but then in the, um, in the community, it's not, it's not looked upon like that as far as us being uh, uh, equal. Uh, we still don't get the jobs that we need to get. We still don't get the uh, recognition we need to get, even in, in the church especially, um, as, as a church, as a community. So it's still kind of like being a disease to be, feeling like it's a disease to be black. Billy, if if other people are like me, like I, I, I'm I'm like physically in pain to hear you say that. I mean, I. Well, I it's the I way know, it's the way well, that know, you were treated and, coming up in this society. Then it's the way even now um, you would think that things would be different in the north than, in, than it was in the south. But it's the same thing. It's just in a well, different form, should I say? Okay, so you um. My guess is these are conversations that take place frequently in the context uh, um, outside of the earshot of white Americans. But you are going to have a conference uh, at your church really inviting people into this conversation on October the 10th, Understanding Racism in America. That's the name of the conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's at the Greater Friendship Baptist Church. Um, And just just talk with us about that. Why have uh, a conference on this subject Who's invited, and how do people get information? Well, it's something we've been trying to do. Um, I do this thing called We're Better Together. And the reason why I say we're better together is because I want us to face the bitterness that has been created because of the way the community has uh, come up uh, together, or should I say not together. And I want to take the the bitter attitudes even that I have and turn those into blessings and how we, we bless each other going forward by coming together and, and, and really having real conversations about how I feel and about how you truly feel. So we, we uh, work with Transform Minnesota and with the Minnesota Council of Churches and the Minnesota State Baptist Convention, and we are deliberately having these conversations because a lot of this stuff, and, and Jamar Tisby is our speaker for Thursday, um, it is things that went on even uh, during the Civil War times. And it's still going on right now. And the church has played a major role in a lot of this stuff. And what we want to do is, is confront it even in the, in the church because as we look right now, because the rhetoric, the rhetoric that is created in our community uh, by the current president of, on hatred and stuff like this uh, causes us uh, to really see racism raise its ugly head even in the church. So I think that we... We have, have to have this conversation. We can't avoid the conversation. Uh, so Jamar Tisby has uh, did a lot of research and uh, got a great historical account. I've heard him speak down in Atlanta, Georgia. And by him coming here, it's going to create the dialogue or create the conversation that we need in Minnesota. And let people. Uh, I know people want us to say, look, don't bring that up. Or uh, are you trying to make me feel guilty or stuff like that? No, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to have real conversation. It's necessary that we have that so that we can try to bridge this gap that has been created, especially in the last couple of years. It's gotten worse in the last few years. So that's what we're trying to do, create a conversation. So that uh, 
beautiful voice is uh, the voice of Billy Russell. He's the pastor of the Greater Friendship Baptist Church. We're going to continue this conversation right after a quick break. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Billy Russell, he's the pastor of the Greater Friendship Baptist Church in Minneapolis. They are hosting uh, an important uh, conversation and conference. It's called Understanding Racism in America. You can check it out. Uh, Facebook has it posted at the events section for the Greatest Friendship Missionary Baptist Church. You can find it there and get more information about attending. It's on October the 10th. Billy, last week we um, witnessed this what some of us regarded as extraordinary moment of um, public forgiveness by the brother of Botham Jean in the courtroom where um, his, at that point, convicted killer, uh, Amber Geiger, was sentenced to 10 years. And there was uh, this proclamation of the gospel and then this extension, not only of words of forgiveness, but an act of forgiveness, which was this physical embrace in the courtroom. Um, I interpreted that on air as a very positive thing. I have subsequently heard from um, a number of African-Americans that they don't necessarily view it in exactly the same way um, and that we are often too quick to move to forgiveness um, or to mercy when when the redemptive path is is more complicated, more complex, and longer than that. So can you could just talk with us about this this conversation? You know, I've heard um, different things from both sides or from different people. And but when it comes down to my love for Jesus Christ, I have to be forgiving. And matter of fact, uh, my dad always taught us as we were growing up, he continued to say that God is for you. And we were going through all these struggles and um, having people to, I, I mean, I've been beat up and could have been killed um, by something I didn't do and I was accused of. And that it continued to say God is for you. And I wonder how in the world can this God be for me and I'm being treated like this in this world. So I had my times of bitterness, but when I was truly saved and, and Jesus really came into my life, I realized that he, I had to forgive. And what I feel like had happened in that courtroom, forgiveness had to take place because I truly believe this person was saved. And I believe this family, although there's still bitterness, uh, it don't make everything just go away uh, just because. But that, that, that to show and the public that I forgive you, and, and I think that's what, what I do every day. That's what uh, the black church do every day is show forgiveness, even though um, wrong is committed. Even though you uh, have said things to me that you should not have said and did things to me you should not have done, and you, you did it intentionally, I still say I forgive you, and I do it every day. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for what, what happened, but that don't make it just go away. In other words, forgiveness don't say you can just come back and keep, continue to do me this way. Mm-hmm. Billy, let me, I know you don't know me personally, so let me just, um, I, I hope we're having the first of several conversations. Um, let me say this out loud, uh, because my friends know this about me and you don't yet know this about me. You have the absolute freedom and open invitation to tell me when I say something I should not have said, because the only way that I learn um, what I'm, the thoughts that I'm having or the things that I'm saying um, that are 
hurtful or wrong is if a brother or sister in Christ is willing to hold me accountable and say, you know, you are seeing that from a really closed place, a really small place. Um, and so uh, that invitation is now uh, is now just before before you uh, any time, any day. Um, I, I welcome that. Let me Thank ask you. you about the, um, you know, you, you reference your dad. It's a huge part of your testimony. Your dad speaks this truth into your life that God is for you. Talk about the need of African-American men who are Christians to really stand up and take responsibility for um, for this moment in terms of the next generation and in conversations with, you know, the rest of us who are not uh, African-American and may not, you know, may have no understanding of what the experience is of African-American men in this country. I think it's important that um, <clears throat> we talk about what has happened, what we had to come through. So this generation now can understand. Uh, so when people tell us just to forget about this and move on, while you keep bringing this up, uh, listen, it is necessary that we remember what happened in the past and remember how we got where we are now. So that tells us what we got to do going forward. Um, so it's important for those of us who are, have come through, those who are seasoned, who have, have been through all of this uh, stuff, it's important for us to talk about it now. It's important for us not to be quiet, and that's what I've decided to do. The only way I can I can really move on is I got to deal with the things that hurt me. I got to deal with the, the bitterness that I have. When um, John Piper wrote a book about uh, uh, the color lines, um, I was on stage with him as he talked about how he grew up in in South Carolina, and I realized that night that I still had some deep hurts and pains that I needed to deal with myself because as he was just talking about what it was like for him being on the other side. And and then I had to talk about what it was like for me being on this side of receiving the racism. I realized then that I still had some very deep issues that hadn't, I had not dealt with. But that night I began to deal with them, and I realized I got to face the things that happened to me. I can't just make it go silent. I got to deal with it. I got to talk about it in order, to be, in order for healing to take place. For healing to take place, we must talk about it. If we don't do that, we must sit down. We must... Um, relate to each other, if we don't do that, then healing not going to take place. And it's always going to be this bitterness. I've, I've had one guest who described it as we need to all get comfortable having very uncomfortable conversations. I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Billy, uh, thank you so much. Billy Russell's the pastor of the Greater Friendship Baptist Church in Minneapolis. If you are in the Twin Cities, October the 10th is an open invitation to attend the Understanding Racism in America conference featuring Jamar Tisby. I feel uh, confident that uh, if you're in proximity to Billy Russell, there's not only a conversation, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that there's there's a hug involved. Am I right? There is. You totally strike me as a hugger. Okay, (laughs) so (laughs) I look forward to actually meeting you the next time I'm in the Twin Cities. Thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. God bless. We'll be right back. Okay, thank you for the uh, engagement on our Twitter or Twitter line on our text line. If you want to text me during the show, it's always available. Paul, what's our phone number? Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Sometimes, if it's not in front of me, I can't remember. Okay, so uh, our number is eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You can always text me during the show. It's always open. Thank you for those of you who are engaging there. Um, okay. 
Next up, we're going to talk with Dr. David Aikman. Here is the headline news that I think uh, we need to know this morning that many people probably have not yet heard. The United States has really radically changed its international position uh, in Syria. We have, up until this point, been working with the Kurds in opposition to uh, ISIS in the region. We are now um, withdrawing our support for those uh, to whom we had committed our support, the Kurds. Um, And so here's the White House announcement. The White House announced late Sunday that Turkey is going to move forward with its planned military operation in northeast Syria, an area where the U.S. troops have been deployed and operating with Kurdish-led forces. And the uh, Kurdish-led forces in Syria are reporting this morning that American troops have already begun withdrawing from the area. A video posted by Kurdish news agencies showed a convoy of American armored vehicles heading away from the border area uh, and the decision to give Ankara, Turkey, the green light is seen by those Kurdish fighters as a major shift in U.S. policy and a betrayal of the promises made to them in the past. So critics are obviously saying that the Kurds, who were our friends when all of us had a common enemy, that being ISIS, um, are now simply going to be abandoned to whatever it is that the Turks have in mind. And we all know that what the Turks have in mind is utterly wiping the Kurdish people off the map. Um, This is going to uh, be leading the news in terms of international attention. More headlines out of Iraq and Hong Kong. In both locations, governments are firing live rounds at pro-democracy civilians who are in the streets um, seeking their rights. So all of that up next with David Aikman here on Mornings with Carmen. What's the greatest legacy you will leave your children Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I love the way this poet defined legacy. There are only two lasting bequests we can hope to give our children. One of these is roots and the other is wings. Man, that nails it, doesn't it? As parents, we work hard to give our kids deep convictions and disciplines, roots, and we pray that our efforts will prepare them for life. Why? When our teens develop into young adults, We long to see them spread their wings and leave the nest to fly. You want to leave a great legacy for your family? Give your kids roots and give them wings. Yes, some days the work seems overwhelming as you drive down those roots, but someday your teens will learn to soar. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. My name is Bond, James Bond. David Aikman is back. He is the editor of Godspeed magazine. He uh, has his finger on the pulse of what's happening internationally. David, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be on with you and Carmen. You and I have very little good news this morning to discuss. We, uh, it, the world is seemingly on fire in almost every direction. American troops have begun withdrawing from positions along Turkey's border. We're, we're reading that just now as breaking news. It's a major shift in U.S. policy. Uh, it's being harshly criticized, not only by our Kurdish allies, but by those in the Pentagon. Um, you know, you would think that... Um, uh, we would be planning our international uh, approach in ways that uh, are consistent with what you know our military advisors are telling us. Um, what's your What's your reaction to what's happening uh, in Syria, which just looks like full full fledged invasion? 
Well, I'm afraid to say it looked like a betrayal by the United States of a vital ally in its uh, operations against the Islamic State. The Kurds had really been the main instrument of dragging out the Islamic State fighters from many of their positions in Syria. But unfortunately, the, the Turks have always regarded the Kurdish fighters as terrorists in general, and they have made no secret of their desire to obliterate the Kurdish military involvement in Syria. So unfortunately, the U.S. has gotten out of the way, and the Turks are just about set to invade. We always uh, like to remind ourselves of the of the religious sort of complications in uh, in this particular region, um, and we also need to be reminded of the major shift by by Turkey under the leadership of Erdogan. Uh, moving it very much in the direction of an Islamic state. He seems to want to be a sultan. Um, And so Turkey itself has moved in a non-democracy, non-religious tolerance direction. Um, And now it would appear that this religiously diverse region, which is Kurdistan, where there are Christians, um, it, it it would seem as if the United States is giving Turkey a pass to simply completely overrun them. Yes, it's very unfortunate. I don't know what the considerations were that um, basically persuaded President Trump to do this, but it's a very finely edged decision, and it could have gone either way. And if he was true to his desire to pull Americans out of all the wars in the Middle East, then, of course, he had to stand by that previous promise to do just that. But on the other hand, the Kurds have done absolutely valiant work um, supporting the Americans destroying the Islamic State. And in fact, they hold no fewer than about 80,000 Islamic State captives in their locations in uh, Syria. So what Turkey does when it's overrun this area, I don't know. Mm. Okay, let's uh, let's pivot. It's not very far, not a very far pivot from what's going on uh, there on the Syrian border with Turkey. Uh, let's pivot to Iraq. Man, it is it is a flame. Uh, I'm reading that at least 109 people have been killed, more than 6,000 people wounded in these anti-government um, protests, or maybe I would call them pro-democracy protests. Um, and it sounds like, uh, in addition to tear gas and rubber bullets, uh, they're using live live rounds, live fire. Oh, yes, they're not dealing with it, even as the Hong Kong police are dealing with protests. They are actually, they've assembled snipers fired from rooftops on the protesters in Iraq, on the demonstrators. And what they're demonstrating against is a government that's basically not been able to operate properly in the last year or so. There are no jobs for young people who are often have master's degree, they can't even get jobs as street sweepers. There's a huge amount of corruption in the country. The country earns a lot of money from oil, but corruption ensures that it doesn't go back into the right places to provide resources for ordinary people. It's a very unfortunate state of a semi 
of a semi-failed state in the Middle East. Now, for those uh, who are listening, David, who are thinking about the billions of dollars that the American people have pumped into um, helping Iraq become a democracy, to see it utterly fail, to see it as a failed state, is it's, it's not just heartbreaking, it's infuriating, um, it's frustrating. Yeah. I think that I think that one of the things that we continue to fail to understand is that you cannot export democracy when the foundations for democracy don't exist. And the foundations of democracy don't exist in Islam. They they exist in a Judeo-Christian uh context, but the I mean really the what the necessary building blocks foundationally for democracy, they don't exist in um in Islam. That's true. But other states, which are not necessarily Judeo-Christian, for example, India, has managed to keep a functioning democracy operational for the 40 years or so since, 70 years or so since independence. So it is possible if you've got a functioning legal system and if you are instructing your school students to keep by a fairly strict code of ethics to get people to operate in a democratic way. But if you don't have those things going on, and if you are not of a Judeo-Christian background, it's very difficult to manage. All right. So I would uh, I would circle back in that conversation and say, and, and this is going to sound um, controversial, but India had the benefit of 200 years as a British colony. I mean, that's a, that's a terrible way to frame that. But if you are uh, if you're a British colony for 200 years, you learn a lot about the the foundations of democracy um, that, in fact, are Judeo-Christian, which is going to lead us to the pivot to Hong Kong. But we got to take a quick break. So I'm talking to uh, Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed magazine. We're going to pivot to Hong Kong, um, where, again, live fire has been used uh, against uh, pro-democracy uh, individuals. And we're also going to talk about this face mask ban. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine. Uh, David, bring us up to speed on what uh, the latest news out of Hong Kong. Well, as you know, the Hong Kong government imposed a ban legally on the wearing of face masks, which have been implemented not only to protect the identity of demonstrators, but to protect them from the effects of tear gas and pepper spray. And they said that anybody wearing face masks would be arrested for breaking the law. But on Sunday, there were tens of thousands of people who showed up in an area where they were not allowed to demonstrate, wearing face masks quite brazenly, and basically defying the authorities to arrest all of them. But of course, the authorities are not going to do that. So the question is, how can the demonstrations be derailed in some other way. It's not at all clear what the government or what the authorities are going to do in that case, what Beijing plans to do. But I think sooner or later, they're going to crack down in a major way. So the demonstrations won't be able to go on indefinitely. 
David, if and when that happens, does anyone go in and come alongside or aid the pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong? No, absolutely not. I mean, first of all, Hong Kong, like it or not, despite its tradition, is part of China. And to interfere in demonstrations in somebody else's country would be a very dangerous uh, move to make because it could lead to all sorts of conflict. Um, China is conscious that its reputation as a, a state that likes to impose force on dissent um, is uh, not very popular in the world. So China has something to lose by being tough. But by not being tough, it opens the Pandora's box of possible demonstrations throughout the country, all of them modeling themselves what Hong Kong is doing. David, I think that uh, because both you you in Britain and uh, or in the UK and we here in the United States of America um, have not on our own soil known war for a very long time. We we almost imagine that that places like Hong Kong, which many Americans uh, have visited, um, lots of American businesses have offices in Hong Kong. It is uh, is just understood as a uh, you know, as a, just a regular part of the global economy, it is it is really hard for us to imagine that we could be looking at China suppressing the people of Hong Kong in what may well be a very violent way. Yes, it's possible. But don't forget, one of the um, disincentives for China to do that is a uh, United States-Hong Kong Act of 1992, which gave Hong Kong a special state in trade with the United States. And China is not likely, is not, uh, is not very eager to do something that could ruin the possibility of the opportunities of getting American dollars into China through Hong Kong ruined by contravening the, the act in a very violent way. So I don't think it's, it's clear immediately what the Chinese government is going to do. Sooner or later, it's going to be pretty tough. All right. Well, we'll certainly, uh, for, those, for those who have not been doing so yet, uh, let's, let's be praying for the people of Hong Kong and for there to be a, resolu- a peaceful resolution to uh, what is happening there. Um, bring us up to speed on Brexit. Okay. Well, this is the sort of do-or-die week. Um, uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said that uh, the European Union has really got to decide whether it wants to take seriously the UK's offer to do a deal, and that includes the so-called Northern Ireland backstop. And essentially... Boris Johnson is trying to see if he can force the EU to get into a position where he doesn't have any alternative but to withdraw from no, with, with no deal. Unfortunately, Parliament passed a law preventing him from doing that. So all kinds of legal issues are going to come up before 
he makes that decision where he whether he can actually slither through the bars of the um, of the restrictions on his actions imposed by Parliament, because it's clear from all opinion polls that the British people are absolutely determined that Brexit should happen, and they support Boris for going ahead with that. So it's not so easy for the opposition to stop him. It continues to be frustrating, right, to those to those who want things to go uh, in the way that they desire versus the way that the will of the people has already been uh, demonstrated. It's, it's all it's uh, I mean, you know, because we're watching it from across the pond, um, we're, right. we're not you know, we're not intimately involved. But um, but we watch this and we say, wow, the 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 people who um, are working in opposition to Boris Johnson, they don't seem to understand that he's actually just simply seeking to advance what the people have said they want. Well, that's right. I mean, the parliament has been really hypocritical. They voted that the um, the EU, that UK should leave the EU by a certain date. They voted to implement the will of the people in the British referendum of 2016. But now the remainers in the parliament are doing everything possible to reverse that decision or to slow it down or to prevent things from happening at all. You've got a real constitutional crisis. I don't quite know how it's going to be resolved, probably through election very soon. All right, David Aikman, as always, thank you so much. Your uh, your wisdom and insight into what's happening around the world, we just deeply appreciate. Thanks for being with us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen, for having me on. Look forward to it next time. Likewise. All right, friends, we'll be right back. Okay, I feel like uh, I have done my part to inform you of not only what's happening in the world, but what's happening here in the U.S. and hopefully right in your hometown. And, and hopefully you are now viewing the day as an opportunity to be an agent of God's grace and an ambassador of his view of things to the world that he so loves. If, if God's perspective is not present or being shared in the conversations that are happening around you, um, guess what? That's because you're it. It's like a game. Uh, it's not really like a game, but but I want you to think of it this way. Like there's a little bit of like the Holy Spirit tagging you and saying, hey, you're it. You're it. The reason that God's perspective is not uh, you're not hearing it in this conversation is because you're it. You're the ambassador that God has sent into that conversation on this particular day. And it's your opportunity to bring God's eternal perspective to bear. You're, you're it. And so uh, I want you to think about that today. Like consider as you as you are overhearing things, as you are engaged in conversations, how can you participate in such a way that you're not just offering up an opinion? You're not just, you know, throwing a little uh, another piece of your mind into the conversation, but you're actually bringing the peace of the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of this day. So peace today because, my friends, you're it. You are it. All right. Thanks for joining us this morning. You can catch the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com and you can catch me online at ReconnectWithCarmen.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.